0: Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many, many blessings you pour upon us each and every day. And thank you so much for the chance to gather in your house and be able to get into your word. And we truly thank you for this time of the year and what it represents to all of us. And help us to really keep our eyes on you through it all as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Christmas 2023. Like I says, it's amazing how quick the year has flown by. Speaking of Christmas, there's a lot of tradition, there's a lot of questions about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what you should display or not display, and the origin of the various things that are put on display in Christmas season, during the Christmas season. The main thing is to stay focused on Jesus Christ and to commemorate a day of Him coming down to become human take on human form to live amongst us and to die on that cross for us. The ultimate gift that the Lord has given us. That's the main focus to commemorate on Christmas is the birth of Jesus Christ in the physical form to come down. Now we know that wasn't when he began, but that is when he began his earthly ministry as our sacrifice for us. That's when he came down to take on the flesh to live amongst us some 30 years, and then to get into that ministry, and then for another three years to to preach and teach, and then ultimately to be crucified and to die on that cross and be buried and raised again the third day, and then he stuck around some 40 days preaching and teaching, ascended to the Father, sits on the great right hand of the great Father, All almighty, and and our propitiation, the, our holy. Sacr- uh, sacrifice that He had done for us. That is the ultimate gift that He has given to all of us. And we need to share that gift as well, just like we were talking about last week. But now let's look at some of the traditions of Christmas, some of the history of what we celebrate as Christmas around the world. It's It's been been altered in various ways through the years, through the seasons. And there's certain things that we see in the Word of God which were like the gifts, for instance, the frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense is an aromatic gum resin obtained from the Boswalla tree and is used as an incense and was part of the sacred anointing oil. And it was used in sacrificial offering as a perfume. Because we know that we're told in the Word of God that the wise men came and he brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold. The myrrh is the other one you're kind of curious about. Myrrh is an extract from a tree used in anointing. And it's as a perfume and for embalming. It was also mingled with that vinegar that they gave Jesus while he was on the cross. Because if you was to consume myrrh, it was actually created a narcotic effect. And then the poinsettia, for instance. Many of you decorate with poinsettias. And it was chosen to represent Christmas because of its appearance and because it reminded folks of the Star of Bethlehem. And then you've got probably the most profound symbol that people use these days of Christmas is Santa Claus. Where did he come up with that? Well, there was actually somebody that was Nicholas, St. Nicholas, And he was around 270 A.D. and he died around 343 A.D. And he was a young man who was left a great fortune upon the death of his parents. He gave some of his wealth to the poor. And later he even gave up his fortune to join the church. He later became a bishop and was imprisoned under the Roman emperor Dioclesius. For his faith in Christ. And after he was released, he once again took a leadership role in the church, giving aid to the poor and teaching the young. The red that you see represented on his costume of today was originally reflected as a symbol of him being a bishop of the church. And we have St. Nicholas Day, which is December the 6th. And it's a day to honor the patron St. Nicholas of sailors, merchants, travelers, captives in several countries, especially in the medieval times, and reverenced especially by the, the Dutch under the name Santa Claus. So that's where you get that name that we use for him these days. It was made familiar in the United States by the Dutch sellers that came to the U.S. And he was chosen as the guardian of children. So there is an actual person that was Santa Claus. There's a lot of misguided teachings about Santa Claus as it's being spread around these days, but he was an actual person that did some good work. And he was very generous with what he had been given. And he made special effort to anonymously give gifts to individuals that needed some assistance. So you can see how that sort of transforms into what they're, they're using Santa Claus these days. But there's some other interesting history about this St. Nicholas. Back in A.D. 325, when Constantine was putting the, the Bible together with all the writings And they had these major meetings where they'd call in all the bishops and so forth. And in one of these, Nicholas was there. And he went up against Arius. And Arius is actually the forefather of the Arian nation that you have that's still in existence today. And Arius taught that Jesus Christ was just another prophet that he was not equal to God. Well, during a meeting, he stood up and was saying that. Well, Nicholas stood up and punched him out and to shut him up. But they had to reject Nicholas out of the meeting because it was forbidden to strike one of these so-called holy people. <clears throat> Typically, they would execute someone who did that, but because he was another chosen individual, they just kicked him out of the meeting. But it was nice to see that he had that kind of courage to stand up against somebody that was promoting false teaching. So there's good and bad, even in the tradition of Santa Claus, which is interesting when you see that. All right, another one we see in the scriptures that's misunderstood is when they talk about the nativity you have the wise men coming in at the nativity scene. Most of them are set up. I mean, even as we have displayed here, you have the the shepherds and you have the wise men. Well, the wise men didn't come along until Jesus was a couple of years old, maybe as much as four years old. But the shepherds were there that night. So we display it and they take what they call artistic license. They bring several things in together to display an event, not necessarily all happening at the same time. You see this in a lot of artwork. But that's how it had been brought together, where people think it all happened on that same night. One of the other interesting things is they talk about swaddling clothes. I mean, I've even heard preachers say that Joseph and Mary were very poor, and they come into town very poor, didn't have anything. and They just gathered up rags out of the stables and wrapped Jesus up in it. Well, that's totally false. Joseph was a businessman. He was a carpenter. He was probably very wealthy. And they came into town, and they probably had a number of extra beasts of burden following them with the extra stuff that they would need to be able to stay in Bethlehem till they got the census done. And a swaddling cloth is... Is a band of cloth. It is very ornamented, very beautiful cloth that is precious to the mother. That would have always been on hand for the young baby, a newborn, and she would have had that with her. And what they did was they would wrap the child from head to toe with the arms down on their sides and wrap them up and keep them from flopping around in the on the table or in the crib or whatever they had the kid in. And it was also believed that if you made them nice and straight like that, it would keep them from having palsy or developing some kind of a other undesired malfunction of their arms and legs. But most of all, it was an ornamental thing. So there's a lot of misguided teachings, false teachings, as I say, even in stuff like that. And then we have uh, the Christmas tree. That's something that some people don't want anything to do with. They say that's pagan. Well, it was actually brought together by an English missionary to Germany in the eighth century. Martin Luther was the first of, to declare a Christmas tree. Excuse me, to decorate a Christmas tree with lights. So they started in the eighth century. And the Christmas tree goes back to early Irish beliefs about eternity and everlasting life, eternal life, living and forever. That's what the evergreen represented to them. So it was a symbol representing and remembering that because of Christmas, we can have everlasting life, the evergreen, the everliving And then the decorations and so forth have added ever since then. The light being on the candles, the lights representing the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So that's why we have a Christmas tree, and that's why we decorate Christmas trees. Another interesting one that some people get into is the mistletoe. See the mistletoe hanging up? People get underneath it and they have a little kiss or whatever. And it's a plant that's mentioned in Norse mythology. And the custom of hanging the plant from the ceiling comes from the belief on the, of the Druids that to bring good luck to the house, the plant must never touch the ground, and believed that a kiss under the mistletoe meant a sincere pledge of love and a promise of marriage. So you got to remember that kiss anybody on a mistletoe, that's like proposing. But that has no Christian base whatsoever, but that has been introduced into the practices of of Christmas, and so forth. And Christmas cards, very common, hand them out. Well, what was the origin of that? And they actually started around 1843. Let's see, another one, uh, we sing Noel. A lot of people, well, what Noel mean? Well, uh, it's a Christmas song. Well, Noel actually means the birthday of Christ. It's Nativity, Christmas, it's celebrating Christmas. Holly is another interesting one. As an old English custom, holly is said to be a charm against lightning and evil spirits. Wreaths themselves of holly or evergreen hung on the door of homes originally symbolized the crown of thorns placed on Jesus Christ at his crucifixion. So you have the crown because you use the holly. If you know holly, that's kind of kind of like a thorn on the tips of a really fresh holly leaf. They stick you pretty good. So it was representing the crown of of thorns and the greenery there as well, the eternity and everlasting life because of Jesus Christ wearing that crown of thorns. So some of these things have Christian origins. Some of these have been altered to be Christian origins. So main thing is that we take all the traditions of Christmas and, and roll them together and really represent and remember Jesus Christ. An interesting one that people, some Christians get upset with is you see on some displays, uh, Xmas, X-M-A-S, instead of Christmas. Well, the people that object to seeing Xmas don't understand the origin of what Xmas is. And the people that use Xmas because they want to take Christ out of Christmas don't understand what they're doing either. Because if you go back to that, the Xmas dates back to the 11th or 12th century and derives from the use of the Greek letter and a symbol of Christ. The Greek letter X, which represents Jesus Christ. So they're actually putting it in in a more secretive way of today's understanding because not a lot of people know Greek, but it is still Christ in Christmas. So even when you see the use of Xmas. But when you see stuff like that, when you look at things like that, when you are encountering things like that, and you're around a group, you can point out some of the history, some of the representation, what it really means, what it should mean to a person, what Christmas really should mean. And that Christmas should mean that you're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, to honor Jesus Christ. And let's look at some of the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ. We'll turn to Isaiah in chapter nine. Well, I'll read this one, one verse here. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the shall, his government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that is Jesus Christ. And then we know in John 3.16, speaking of the awesome gift that He came down to provide for us, which is for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That ultimate gift, that's what it's all about. When we exchanging gifts one to another, it's representing the gift giving that Jesus Christ was a part of, that He provided for us. But let's look at the account of the birth of Jesus Christ as we see over in Luke. Once again, I emphasize this wasn't the beginning of Jesus Christ. It was the beginning of his earthly ministry as human, taking on human form. So he could live amongst us and show that you can live a God-glorifying, sinless life. Given us the ultimate example and being the ultimate sacrifice for all of us. In Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. One point I'd like to make here is this was a government action to get people come in to do a census. We celebrate Christmas in what we understand as winter here in the northern hemisphere, and it would not have been a good time to get folks to come in to pay your taxes or to sign up on this census because it would be difficult traveling in that region during the winter. We chose the day based upon the winter solstice. And the beginning of the winter solstice, the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. So each day after that, you have a little bit longer day. So it's recognized as some of the, the pagan druids and, and so forth, the Celtics, the day of the sun. The day of the sun's growing. So they wanted to overlay that, so the early Christian church chose that day to represent Jesus Christ and to choose that as our remembering of the Son of God rather than the sun that's in the sky. So we don't know exactly what day Jesus Christ was born. We don't have those records. But if you did the research, we don't even know what day of the week it is. There is no civilization that has stayed sound enough to even know the year that it is. Nothing has survived that accurate of a date line. Not even the Word of God gives us that kind of a date line to know the date exactly. We're not given the day of His birth. We're not given the very day of His crucifixion. We know that it happened... On Good Friday, what we recognize as Good Friday. But like I said, don't get too hung up on all these dates and stuff. Like some people really get bent out of shape over it. But let it it go. I mean, the Lord did not give us those dates specifically. He did not even tell us to honor His birthday. We choose to do that because we really thank Him for what He has done for us. So if you choose to celebrate Christmas, that's fine. If you choose not to celebrate Christmas, that's okay too. Just always, every day, celebrate Jesus Christ. As it continues in verse 2. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, Which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Quite the responsibility for Mary to have that task of raising Jesus Christ. There is some false teaching saying that Mary only had one son, and that was Jesus Christ. But as we have records in the scriptures, that she had sons and daughters, four named in here of the sons. Other than Jesus. And it's accredited that Jude, who used to be named Judas, changed his name to Jude and wrote the book of Jude. And that is one of the half brothers of Jesus Christ. The book of James that we have is another one of the half brothers of Jesus Christ. So we know that they eventually chose to follow the Lord. They did not follow Him at first. They were not His disciples. They were not His apostles. But once they saw Him for who He really is, then they believed and became great men of God. But ultimately, like we said, He came down to be that sacrifice for us. He came down and lived amongst us we have very little information about Jesus Christ as He was a young man or even that first 30 years. Very little given to us because He didn't come primarily to just live that human life and all that be recorded for us to study. He lived a human life to show us that you could live sinless, yes, but ultimately He came to die on that cross for us. But there's a few places, like I say, like Luke 2, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So he was a really good kid. There are some false teachings. There are some false writings that are out there about the life of Jesus. I caution you, don't be reading those and getting your mind polluted with such teachings. But... Stick with the Word of God that we know has been confirmed, that we know is accurate and true. But it's the way Satan works. loves to go and take things and twist them around and and alter them. But ultimately, Jesus Christ came to be the gift for us, like we read earlier. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the key. That He came to do that for us. He died on that cross for us. And He proclaimed this to someone who was very close to Him in John chapter 11, right before He rose Lazarus from the dead. He was speaking to one of His sisters here, Martha. And in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then the ultimate question we want to ask all of ourselves and everyone. Believest thou this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came down to live amongst us for some 33 years and died on that cross to be the ultimate sacrifice for us? rose again from the dead. Ascended to the Father. Do you believe that? If you truly believe that and live in that and Him living in you, then you have everlasting life to look forward to. You have a glorious body to look forward to. You have a new home to look forward to. Like He emphasizes over in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1, the words of Jesus Christ. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. Now this belief is by living in, not just understanding that he existed, the historical record of someone who was born. No, you've got to really understand it in your heart, not just in your head. Really accept it, become in you and you in it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also." And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Now he's speaking to his disciples here. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Profound statement. A lot of religions out there, a lot of religions, all kinds of different beliefs. And a lot of really obedient people to the various beliefs that are out there. Dedicated, devoted people. There's even some religions out there that have a good moral code established in them. And people are following that moral code, thinking that they're going to work their way to whatever version of eternity that they're looking forward to, or reincarnation, or or being lifted up to become a God, or whatever they believe in their religion. But it's wrong. There's only two ways. It's either Christian or Antichrist. Period. That's it. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Coming to the Father means to be comforted and have that glorious body and to be with the Lord for eternity on a big, beautiful, brand new earth. That's what we have to look forward to as truly born-again Christians. But you've got to trust in the Lord. You've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to trust in Him to be your lord and savior and you got to know in your heart that you are in him and him in you but it's so simple that many people think you can't do it that you got to be able to work for it you got to work hard 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 in order to get saved and then you got to work even harder to stay saved a lot of false teaching concerning staying saved but we're sealed we're sealed by the indwelling spirit of the holy ghost he tells us that's the earnest that's the down payment that's only part.